Life is complex, so is our mental health. It cannot be understood by diagnosis alone. Our philosophy is treat the person, not the mental illness. Hello everybody and welcome to a new episode of Humanizing Mental Health. I'm Trent Nakers. And I'm Jeremy Alcorn. Well, we have a very special friend of mine here today with us, Sasha Stewart-Burgoyne. Did I get that correct, Sasha, with the last name? You did, yeah. All right, perfect, yeah. And, um, well, Sasha and I have actually worked together for quite a while. Uh, she is a multi-talented individual, and actually, you and I got started working together as you being one of my caregivers, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, and we had a very unique conversation one day when we were driving back from Calgary after I was seeing my girlfriend. Do you want to tell people a, a little bit about our conversation and what we talked about in the car and what leads you here today? Yeah, for sure. So um, a big part of our conversation was just a part of my role in providing services to a lot of individuals throughout my career mm-hmm. as a um as someone who provides services to persons living with disabilities. And w- a part of that role is um, is multifaceted. And we make relationships with people, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to recount one of my experiences with a particular individual and just how that kind of has transitioned forward into how I'm currently maintaining relationships with some some people to this day. So, um, in this particular past experience, I was working for an agency and I was supporting an individual and she was quite elderly and we had to support her to transition from our supported independent living services Mm -hmm. to a, um, long-term care supported, uh, living facility and so ultimately exit our services. But this person was very devoid of family, friends, and ultimately had no one mm-hmm. um, to care for them otherwise. And so leaving the service provision uh, that we were currently providing through the agency that I was working for meant that transitioning to long-term care, they would have no one mm-hmm. um, Sure. Like the level of care that would be available was just nowhere near the same. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I continued to see this individual um, on a regular basis and provide support to her in terms of community access. So we would go out, um, we would still go for coffee together, we would do this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I mean, like, as you talk, and I mean, I know this firsthand because of the support that you provided me, you, when you take on a client, you really um, form a bond with them and you're really committed to them to make sure that their wellness and that their goals are completely met. Yeah, and I I can really hear just as you're talking, like, how invested you are in this person, like, not just as a client, but as somebody that you've grown really attached to. Oh, absolutely. It even went to the extent where many of her assets, I supported her from moving from her um, her condo to making sure that her assets, her furniture and stuff like that was securely kept in a storage unit. 
um, that her valuables were being accurately transferred and accounted for with trusteeship mm -hmm. as she had transitioned through that process as well. And then that also included like working with family as well that was out of town and making sure that all that was set up and that her aging family understood the process as well um, for uh, making sure that she got what she needed and that her possessions that she still wanted ended up where she was going. So we ended up facilitating um, those moving processes as well for her. And this was all after she had transitioned out of the services from that organization. Right. Like one of the things that I was wondering about is <clears throat> what you're talking about is doing this without compensation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. This was entirely without comp compensation. Mm -hmm. Um, this was all of my own volition, um, outside of my hours of work. Um, I, um, enacted the f support of my own friends and family to help move belongings of hers, like large pieces of furniture. Um, and I continued to, go and see her in long-term care as much as it was humanly possible. And then keep in mind, this was also during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so the facility, like the long-term care facility in which she was living in was, you know, in and out of lockdown and stuff like that. So I had my own restrictions that were being placed on me as someone who was still working in a field that was making me um, restricted in terms of entering long-term care facilities that could potentially expose me to the pandemic and right. bringing that to further vulnerable to other, other vulnerable people. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, it was, it was a huge challenge, um, maintaining all that. And then, so even after I had left the organization, I continued to maintain a relationship with her and then even her family, um, I still have their contact information. I still liaise with them regarding, you know, her struggles with finances and just even to account for the level of vulnerability that this individual has as she, you know, ages through her own, her own disability and, um, dementia process. Um, there was this one experience where she had given me money to go out and purchase some, some snacks and stuff for her, for her room, because she isn't able to, um, like her mobility is quite limited. Mm -hmm. Um, she thought she had given me $50 in cash cause she, she's elderly, right? So she carries lots of cash mm -hmm. with her instead mm -hmm. of, you know, um, more advanced means of paying mm -hmm. for things. And she, it was, she had thought that she had given me $50 in cash. Um, and when I had given her her money back, she's like, why are you giving me so much money back? I'm like, well, you had actually given me $500 cash. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And, and one of the things that really jumps out to me, because I, I imagine some listeners, as they listen to the story, they're well, one of the big things, of course, that that that, that constantly gets thrown thrown around, is is this notion of, of of boundaries. Where is the boundary? And the part of the answer to that is they're they're flexible, right? That is, they don't work as just like this fence that is set at a certain place. Um, but the other side of it is motivation. That is, what would have happened to this person if you didn't do that? And that is actually one of my, one of my friends brings that up quite frequently when I 
you know, get lost in the lull of, you know, my daily life and I don't have the time to go and see her at the frequency that I would like to see her communicate with her. And he brings that up and he's like, what if somebody else who may not be as trusting, as trustworthy as you is put in that same position and is given that, you know, that $500 instead of, instead of what she believes is that $50 Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's those kinds of instances sure. as well, right? Well, and and even just the transition to the new service, um, all of the stuff that you're talking about, you know, she's getting going to have less care. So if you hadn't stayed involved, what would happen to her? Um, I definitely feel like, in, in my professional opinion, I definitely feel like there would be a decrease of quality of life, right? When we talk about somebody who... Um, when we form connections with people, they're, they're meaningful in our lives. Right. Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes when we see people who particularly are living with disabilities, um, have low levels of community inclusion and, um, low levels of able to maintain relationships and stuff like that. And then they have formed relationships or trusting relationships or meaningful relationships with caregivers or, um, you know, people, people who are, have places of influence in their lives and having that removed so abruptly, especially during a time of transition Mm -hmm. definitely is a huge influence on someone's quality of life. Yeah. And I mean, as you bring that up, it makes me think of another episode that we've done where you, you, I mean, you helped me through that loss, Jeremy, like the the debt, the devastation that I had experienced. And I, and I still go back to what you brought up at that moment, which is, you know, are you going to harden yourself? And like, as you talk, Sasha, it really makes me happy and to see that there are people out there like you that recognize the gravity of the responsibility that you carry. But as I hear, uh, uh, what I'm really wondering is, because as like with Jeremy and myself, like I can feel that we recognize that, but how is that greeted by other people besides your friend? Um, I have definitely, definitely faced scrutiny, um, from other professionals, um, in terms of what does it mean to maintain that relationship outside of a quote unquote professional setting. And I have talked to other professionals and I've always kind of found, reassurance I guess you could say in this whole ideology of you know we you know don't close files Mm. right because there's this ideology where in my mind you can still maintain a form of a relationship with a person and still have acceptable boundaries Mm -hmm. but also ensure that their needs are being met yeah in fact I think there's actually Two episodes that really tie into this. One mm. specifically that Trent had uh, mentioned that is uh, is dealing with loss. And actually, it, it was if you take what you just described and you flip the coin, it was the other side of the coin when there's just a, a, a severed relationship with uh, with a caregiver. The other episode was uh, the one that we'd done. Um, 
It's called From the Inside, talking about the therapist's position inside the mental health system. Yeah. And, and I think there's actually some big tie-ins, like one um, ab- about that position around what does this look like for the individual and what do, like, relationship is what guides people in being healthy. Um, and then the, the other part, and that is, it is literally impossible for you to, to do this with every person. Um, because you would give more percentage of what is inside you out, and then you would be empty and you would have nothing. And I think that kind of circles around to maybe the theme of this this chat today mm-hmm. that we're having is what does that look like from that perspective as somebody that is probably presently engaging in that? I could probably admit to that. Um, because after I had left the organization that I was, I had worked at for close to 10 years, um, and with a varying caseload, um, many of which were complex needs individuals that I had formed very close relationships with, um, many of which were denying services prior to meeting me, um, that, Um, only engaged in services after having met me and um, continued to engage in services while meeting me and then after finding out that I was leaving the organization again um, were required a lot of convincing to continue to receive service provision Mm -hmm. and so it was very challenging because I wanted to maintain a form of a relationship with these individuals because a part of me knew that um, the work that I had done with them felt very meaningful to myself but also to them I knew that they regarded me as somebody who played a very large role in the work that they did themselves yeah and you know and, and I can I like as you talk like I almost think to myself like even even as a therapist like there there are times that there are individuals that have left me or that you know that have been sitting across the couch from me and I'm like I would love to keep supporting you and like I like you've said you never close files but it's like how do you transition and still be respectful without going too far is really what I'm hearing yeah for sure in fact um think it'd be useful to make a couple definitions here Mm. like um, when we say never close uh, a file what we're really saying is that um, that the individual gets to to come back that uh, that like a doctor's office I'm sorry but you know you had your six appointments so go away (laughs) you know or or you know you've you've been you've been a year since I saw you last so I I closed your file like that doesn't make sense yeah you know there's notations yeah, there's notations made on the file indicating that the person's goals are met. Um, so it still, you know, meets that practice standard. And that's one of the the big pieces that I think is is, is, is kind of important. Recognizing different professions and disciplines have a different set of rules about, about what boundaries are. Like for Trent and I, we can't have any contact with someone outside of the professional um, contact or else we'll be um, disciplined for it. Um, and then we have to wait a period of two years mm-hmm. before we can have any social contact at all with someone. 
and um, and so just kind of giving some pieces of of, of clarity. They're they're not all that cut and dry. You know, some other disciplines, clearly um, what you're talking about in the discipline you're working in is it, it can't be that cut and dry. And so it, it, it puts you in a place in which you get very connected mm-hmm. to someone's wellness and then you're expected to just turn it off. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that, I and I think you and I talked about this prior, uh, Sasha, where we talked about the fact that our brains are wired to connect, where we're wired to form this community, but it's really put in this professional mold where we're supposed to use this part that is innate to us, but then we're just, you know, you're supposed to just turn yourself off. And what is it like, and I, you and I talked about disenfranchised grief, like, and is that really what you, like, what you feel you're experiencing? Yeah, so just speaking more to all those concepts that you guys kind of spoke to um, with regard to what you had touched on, Jeremy, um, with closing files and moving forward and not speaking to people, um, I was able, because many of the individuals that I had served have guardians, and to be able to maintain or continue to speak with people who are previously in service provision, this can be overridden if you, if the person is their own guardian mm-hmm. or if the person has somebody who is their legal guardian and decision maker. Mm-hmm. Um, I had actually reached out to the guardians um, because they knew what a significant um, person I was in this, um, our role I played in these individuals' lives and asked um, what their thought was and if they wanted the individuals to continue seeing me outside of service provision if they wanted me to maintain what is called in disability services the role of a natural support Mm -hmm. in um, these individuals lives and the guardians consented to this Mm -hmm. um, and And that gives really good clarity that I think would answer a lot of people's questions that might be listening about what what do boundaries look like well that's exactly it it's like okay this particular person really needs me and then you go through that process of, um, of, of making sure the professional boundaries are correct by just as you described in terms of the consent. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so that is a huge difference because you're moving from somebody who is in the realm of service provision is a paid support. So you're paid to be there and there's a power dynamic associated with that as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're paid to be there. Um, and then you're moved to a position where you are voluntarily being there because you want to. So that doesn't also, that does that not only like facilitates a healthier relationship with a person, but it also, um, it equals out the power dynamic between a person and, um, the individual that you're working with or now engaging in, um, a more humanizing relationship with, right? Mm-hmm. Because, um, you're, you're meeting them on their level now and you're agreeing to be there on a basis of um, I'm, I'm not here because I'm a paid support. And at that point you're, you can support further to um, engage in that community inclusion. So just expanding. Oh, um, did you want to say something there? Trent? No, 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 keep going. I, I've, I've got, I've got a thought, but you can, you can finish what you were saying. Okay. I just also wanted to touch on what you said there, um, Trent, about disenfranchised grief. So for a long time, like we had previously spoke of um, in regards to 
um, this whole concept of um, professionalism and the inability to use our humanity to connect with one another when we're literally working with humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So to deny ourselves this human portion of ourselves when working with other humans to me is... I don't know. To me, it's very completely ridiculous. I, that's a very strong take to take on it, but I, I necessarily don't agree with it. But um, some people may, and that's completely that's completely up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, it does for me created a sense of what I had to work through personally mm-hmm. as of this disenfranchised grief, yeah. which was. Um, and just to put a definition to that, which was a sense of grief or loss of these relationships um, with people who I connected so deeply with mm-hmm. um, that I wasn't able to accurately express to anyone because I knew it wouldn't hold account or be noted as important to anybody else because it was discriminated against in the professional community. Yeah. You know, and, and as you bring this up, it may, it reminds me of an ethical question that I don't know if you got this during your training, Jeremy, but we actually sat around the room during, I think it was my MSW and we talked about, is it appropriate for a therapist or a helping professional to go to a funeral. Oh. <laughs> hmm. do, do, do you remember that one? Um, and uh, this isn't the first time that uh, that, that, that idea has, has come up. And it, but it is interesting because um, I've had lots of people die. Um, mm-hmm. Only one that I don't know if it was suicide. And I mentioned that before, mm-hmm. but... Uh, that position around just being a human, like I found out because they dropped the obituary into my box. The, the next appointment's canceled because they're dead. Wow. And, um, and so that massive disconnect that's about, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. How do you heal the healer? Like I'm supposed to just go home and go to sleep tonight without any thought about this? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and see, and that's another thing that's really interesting that you bring that up because it was almost in in my field personally, I've had many individuals die or pass away rather from various complications, whether it be that they have died by suicide or mm-hmm. um, whether um, since COVID, uh, there were a couple individuals that were living in group homes that I had provided service provision to, um, that died by COVID, um, as well as had passed away due to extensive health complications because I had worked with a variety of individuals that not only had complex health, like behavioral needs, but also complex medical needs. And, um, even even like my career initially started with um, individuals who had lived in the Michener Center. Oh. Yes, and they were quite elderly. Okay, um, um, context, by the way, for people that are outside of Alberta. Yeah. Um, so uh, the Michener Center was a, um, an institution, and there was some pretty horrible um, atrocities that happened there. Um, 
one of the people I worked with in um, as I was going to school, if you said Red Deer, which is where the Missioner Center was, oh, it was like a bull seeing red. Um, yeah. So, so um, worked with um, a few and gentlemen that had uh, transitioned from their um, from this institution as late as the early nineties, mm-hmm. um, and when group homes had first started opening in our community and um so they have since passed away as well due to their complex medical needs Mm -hmm. and in my industry as a, a disability service worker it has almost been um almost considered um a faux pas to not attend a sure, funeral. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, and isn't that curious? Because if, um, if you or I were to show up at a funeral and someone then says, how do you know them? We can't say. Yeah, yeah, no. I, like, I, like I, even I, being there may breach their confidence. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and, you know, well, 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 I remember specifically, actually, you bring that, that up. I, because do you remember? Well, the first client that I ever had for my private practice um, was an elderly client, mm-hmm. and she ended up passing away. And oh. um, the only I remember because it was her family came up to me, mm-hmm. and it was, they they ended up. This was in Walmart, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, the only reason why they came up to me is because they knew me because they had power of attorney. And it was like, okay, this is an opportunity for a human moment. But how can I, as a professional, in the middle of public, be human, but also be respectful? Mm-hmm. And it's like, even though they're dead, you still want to mm-hmm. respect their confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Just because they died doesn't mean you, um, they're, that, that gives a limit to the confidentiality. No. And, and, you know, and I think the thing is, is that us as helping professionals, we have a very unique I would almost say sacred window into people's lives. And we have different levels of um, uh, restriction on information sharing. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that someone sees you or I is confidential. We can't share that. Um, So, yeah. I mean, and I think for obvious reasons that uh, um, that's kind of our our sacred cow because people would um, never even come in to see us. Yeah, and if they know, if even the knowledge that they were seeing us was available to other people, they may not want to see us again too. And mm-hmm. I and I think and I, I I say this, and I think that this is why those of us that are in helping professions also ourselves seek out mental health support because that's the only way that we can really well that that's really um, appropriate to address this is to go ourselves in as a client. But there again, too, can we even be honest? with our own therapist yeah sometimes right yeah Um, so there's a couple of things that i really wonder about um because i think the reason why you've been um uh, a significant help or the outcome for people in their wellness has been the outcome's been very good is because of the level of connection like um and, and and yet 
then there's people that push back from that within the professional um, space, right? Saying that's not, maybe even they say that's not appropriate, but the, the, there's, there's that where, you know, you know, actually it's a connectivity that makes a difference. The other piece is that the system is so flawed in terms of the amount of support. So you got these two things that are kind of moving together. I know that as I hand this person off somewhere else, they are not going to get sufficient support. I know that because I know that the system doesn't have capacity to do it. Mm-hmm. And it, they're going to lose their support and they're going to u- lose the connection they had with me simultaneously. Correct. Um, that's a great weight to carry. Mm-hmm. Like um, what I mean by that is there's only so many people you can do this for. I am only one person. We are only individuals in this working system. And I think that kind of pulls to the the whole, you know, title of this, you know, burnt to a crisp. Absolutely. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Sasha, but you've been doing this for what, 15 years? Um, I have been working in the field uh, close to uh, 11 years okay sorry I, I didn't mean to put you in that long but i, <laughs> I, I okay. could correct me if I'm you, wrong. you're just that competent you you radiate competence <laughs> yeah Thank you. You, you honestly <laughs> do. i mean yeah, yeah. I, um but i i think i remember you saying this and this really stuck out to me you said that as time has gone on that you've just you, like it's it's the inequities of the system that you didn't you were aware of when you first started to work but the weight of those inequities has gotten greater and greater as time has gone on am i wrong uh no it's that's definitely correct because you can see a system mm-hmm. and acknowledge a system for how it is and that it, there's a great difference between that and actually operating within that system and seeing the repercussions of it. Yeah, you know, um, something just struck my mind, mm. and I, I really want to make sure that there's there's time for this. Mm-hmm. So, um, when you came in today, you came in powerful, you oh. know, like like you did. Um, you came in dressed sharp powerful um you know that that confidence that i was talking about this is a a very public venue something that is put out and there's multiple countries in the world that have listened to this um this podcast and i believe that you actually have a message that you want to make sure you articulate today that's true isn't it yeah yeah and uh and and so i want to make sure and I'm going to ask you a very specific question as well, uh, further a little bit further in. Okay. Um, but that is, what do you want the world to know? What what difference do you want to make? Because that, that's what this is about. It's about humanizing uh, the process. So, w- what is it that you want them to know? Wow, that is that that's a really great question. Um, I think that if this platform were to be as expansive as possible and people were really listening and we were to really focus on people and humanizing individuals that first and foremost, I would say to focus on people's individual gifts and capacities, Jeremy, because that is at its root, at its core, where service provision is at its greatest because that is where you're going to see 
people thrive. Mm, and then what I'm really hearing you say is that your experience within the field has not told you that that actually is the, the, the foremost thing happening. Absolutely. And that's what's missing. Because mm-hmm. you oftentimes see systematically people put into boxes. Mm-hmm. And I see that throughout every like every system that you could go through in your whole life like really think about it from the moment that you're taught how to do your abcs or you're taught how to write with your right hand instead of your left or you're taught how to drive an automatic car versus a standard car or Mm. you're taught how to you know just being a part of every single system is a part of your day-to-day life everybody's put into a box And I think oftentimes we forget to recognize that not just in neurodivergent people, but even in neurotypical people, that everybody has their own individual gifts and capacities that everyone's supposed to bring to the main stage. And it's it honestly is a disenfranchisement of humanity when we're sitting here talking about the fact that we're all supposed to normalize everybody, but the normalization of everybody is it truly is a lie because we're greater as a humanity when we're focusing on what everybody brings to the table. Yeah. Like as I hear you say that it almost makes me say, think of the idea that the idea of normal should almost be a four letter word, be a swear word Hmm. because by doing that, you're like, you're basically trimming off um, a square peg to fit in a round hole. And what are the unique things that are being lost because of that? Absolutely. And then like another molehill, if you really wanted to go down it is like equity, mm-hmm. right? When you think of equity and um, other countries around the world and had had individuals had access to like the basic necessities such as like food equity, water equity, and these types of things. And like had they had the necessities they needed for um typical neurodevelopment and stuff like that what kind of gifts and capacities would they have to show the world had their neurodevelopment been typical and what opportunities would they be presenting and you know what could they be sharing with the world right yeah, now yeah 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 well, but, but right? like but as i hear you say that i also wonder too what is it through their their challenges or their unique stories that has allowed them to develop these things that people sure. are completely not um seeing because i mean i even think about myself i honestly like what was it uh, i did a documentary recently and somebody asked or the documenter asked me you know do i think that my does my disability make me a better counselor and i answered the question and, it, and it's true where it's like it really depends but i would say that the experiences that i've had and i think that we all have allow us a, a unique window in on empathy yeah that is true yes i, I agree that, that is true well. and uh, and one of the things that really jumps out to me as you talk about this too is that um e- even within our own society um, we actually have higher levels of depression. The average, by the time someone is 40 years old in Canada, 50% of them have experienced mental illness. That's off the hook. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and actually is higher than some of the countries that are less developed. So then do, do we actually have things together? Because I don't think we do. Um, and, um, and there isn't equity, it's true. And, and that equity needs to, to, to be something that, that gets addressed over time. 
And, and also recognizing that we're not giving our own society what we need for appropriate social development yeah. either and health. You know, and as you bring that up, and, and forgive me if I'm deviating the conversation, but like I think people um, misconstrued equality with equity and really what that means. Yes. Oh, sure, sure. Like someone, an equitable response is a family that has two uh, children versus a family has eight children. They're not going to get the same level of resources because the one with eight children needs more resources than the one with with two or different kinds of resources. Yeah, like I even look with within that family itself. If you give if you give each child exactly the same thing, you're not really going to meet each child where they're right, at. For sure, because mm-hmm. people have different interests, all thousand different things. Mm-hmm. Which I think you intentionally use the word equity. Yeah. Absolutely. Not equality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I read that in your statement, and thank you, Trent, for bringing that up to to kind of make sure people understand what it is we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I told you to have a specific question. So the follow up or the very specific question is: um, this world actually is not a very nice place. It, it is. It is true, mm-hmm. and and that's not because I'm I'm pessimistic. Um, it, I'm actually hopeful that uh, that that humanity can come together. Um, and at the same time, you know, uh, joining in uh, with you, I spent five months off um, on sick leave because it was impossible to actually meet the need that was expected, and um, and that that doesn't that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So then, then the part that I'm wondering about, and that is, for individuals out there, especially practitioners that are going to come into some helping field. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for them? Because I think you know. Yeah, I I, I can see it on your face, Sasha. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's just these these are the thoughts that I I oftentimes just drive around in my car in the summertime and just listen to loud music and just think, 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 think. It's if I had the opportunity to mm-hmm. say something to somebody, what would I tell them? And this is my moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you literally got the mic, girl. Wow. Um, So I, I don't, I don't know. I think I would just, I would say, lead with your heart and do what you think is right. I, I, it's never led me wrong, you know, because there's, there's been great many times in my professional career where, and I wish I remembered a quote, I've just started reading um, Brene Brown's, um, I believe it's uh, uh, Perfection and Imperfection or Mm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. And there is a specific quote in it that I wanted to share for today, but it slipped my tongue. I'll have to get it for next time maybe. But... um, it's I've I've encountered many instances in my professional career where there's been a question of ethics and I've really come to meet some very questionable instances where I've had to turn around and stand my ground and say no this is this is what I believe and this is the right way to do things and I 
have to follow my straight north and even even if other people think it's wrong but I know for myself that I've done my best and I've done what's right mm-hmm. yeah and I love what you said there follow your your true north your internal compass will guide you don't let like any outside poles pull you know what's right yeah and i think ultimately in i mean we could get we could get into a philosophical question and conversation about what what is right what is wrong how do you know if you know what's right and all this kind of stuff but i think people know um especially when you have education behind you and or even you know years of experience and a, a gut guiding you you yeah. know you, <laughs> you 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 know what's right and what is wrong and all if you're always acting in kindness and love then you know what's guiding you and what's not guiding you and you need to walk to the beat of your own drum so one last kind of follow-up question and that is the piece of guidance that you would give especially to people that are coming in uh, in into helping profession that would be about how do you take care or make sure that you're as important as everybody else in the process i would definitely say the most important thing is care for yourself the way that you would care for the people that you serve i love it care for yourself the way that you care for the people that you serve um for me if you like for me i always put my people first and if you're always putting your people first and you're caring for yourself the way that you care for the people then you're always putting yourself first in relationships people say like when you talk about a local relationship right Mm. and you say oh well my relationship's 50 50 right but i don't look at relationships as being 50 50 because the reality is somebody's doing half the work and the other person's doing half the work when reality you want both of the people to be putting in 100% 100% right sure and 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 i, I would i would tweak that just a little bit cuz i don't think anybody ever gets to 100 like i think that's one of those things that gets in our way which mm-hmm. we're like i'm not doing enough i'm not doing enough it's like i think actually if both people put, put in, in 90. yeah 90 or even even 80, 75 75 75, um, 75 you know, yeah. you know like a, you you'd be in a, in a spot in which you would be giving yourself compassion to recognize that i'm never going to be perfect in this um and and at the same time you know 75 and 75 is 150 so that's pretty good yeah, I, I was at 145. So your math skills are better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so one last thing that I just uh, reflect on that that as I is I hear everybody talk and I, I think about this, and I realize that um, one of the messages you're really giving is that there isn't like a a very specific rubric or like some kind of you know measurement stick that you can say this is it, um, and. and and what that kind of means is that it's okay for you to be different than the colleagues around you. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, again, going back to that whole 
everybody has their own gifts and capacities. And and I think that's why it's really important that everybody shouldn't be practicing in isolation. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a really important aspect. Like, um, I imagine you've talked about synergy in particular Mm -hmm. in your podcast. I think that is really amazing where, you know, you have private practitioners, but an in essence, nobody practices in isolation, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody has their own specialities, but we all come together and we can reflect together mm-hmm. as, you know, people can reflect together as a team, yeah. right? And it means that there's more than one way to be able to still meet the ethical obligations and rules. And uh, one person might be giving a lot more than another, Um in terms of, of, of what they're doing or how they decide they're going to negotiate the process that we're talking about. And it doesn't necessarily make one person right and one person wrong. Absolutely. No, no. Uh, like as you, um, as you talk, it brings me back to the idea of absolutist and relativistic ethics. I really don't think there is such a thing as absolutist ethics. There may be, you know, a signpost that we don't do or that we don't cross that everybody yeah. does. But like you said, we all get there in our own way. Yeah, for sure. Like there are some things that are just hard and fast. You can't um, have a social relationship, Trent, with someone that you've seen professionally until it's been two years. That's a hard and fast that we can't do. Yeah, you know, it's just like, darn it. But mm-hmm. you know what? But the thing is, is that at the end of the day, like just going back to what Sasha said, if you've been there for that person and if you've created that relationship, helped them heal then if you want to continue, then it will be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it means that we got to stop judging each other. Absolutely. Other professionals, colleagues, you know, um, being in a place in which we try to come from a level of understanding mm-hmm. rather than thinking someone's not doing things the right way. Yeah. If, if we treat our clients as human, we need to treat ourselves as human as well. Mm-hmm. But I think we'd like to actually maybe uh, let you have the last words. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> absolutely! Well, how would you like to tie this together in terms of home. your your reflection? What kind of stands out for you? Um, I think, like I was saying, ultimately, if we want to avoid this whole concept of being burnt to a crisp, and you know, I think if first and foremost we need to recognize that we're human mm-hmm. and we're not going to be perfect, just like you were saying, um, we're allowed to make mistakes in what we do and if we're doing what we feel is the best that we can reflecting on the work that we're doing and not practicing in isolation you know consulting with other professionals um and practicing practicing kindness practicing love and compassion Mm -hmm. i think that we're we're doing a good job and you know never forgetting to access that humanity within ourselves when practicing because we're not we're not supposed to forget that it's called human services for a reason (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely so treat others the way you want to be treated and if you want to take care of yourself your clients aren't just number one you are too Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I, I love that. I think that's a great note to go out on. On that note, I'm Trent Nakers. And I'm Jeremy Alcorn. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message has been as meaningful to you as it has been to us. If you're looking for help, you can find us on Facebook at Humanizing Mental Health.